First thing I want to say is I um, want to thank Andy and Andrea Howard who uh, were here last week. If you were here last week, you would have uh, seen them and heard from them. Uh, it was uh, really good for them to fill in and stand in for us and uh, hear good reports and uh, continue to pray for those guys as they're ministering, as they're leading, as they're pioneering Vineyard Church and not just Vineyard Church but releasing the kingdom in Lahn and the surrounding area there. Uh, we want to thank them for doing such a great job. And also just want to pay tribute and give thanks to our board, uh, the board of trustees, the directors uh, of Vineyard Church here for uh, giving myself and Chantel some time off, which has been uh, a real blessing to us. Uh, had a lot of fun uh, in the last few days with uh, Tommy. Uh, many of you know who Tommy is uh, in, in the camper van, in the passion wagon. Um, there was no passion, let me tell you. Just clarifying. This is being recorded already, isn't it? Oh, flip. Goodness me. Oh, dear. If you're listening to this online, my name is Ian Young. <laughs> and, uh, I live in Whitehead. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly on. <laughs> it's never in the notes. It's never in the notes. When we deviate and go off course, it's never there. I promise you, it's not there. <clears throat> Kathy, yes, indeed. Chantel's not here to do it this morning, but you are. Fair enough. <laughs> moving on. We continue our series, our teaching series called The Apprentice. The Apprentice being apprenticing ourselves to Jesus. Uh, we talked about the, uh, the Jewish Talmudin is what they were known. Those who would have been selected, the elite, the best of the best, who would have uh, trained under a rabbi. And a rabbi would have spent years teaching and training uh, other young ones to become rabbis themselves. And it was very similar to the model in which Jesus uh, operated. He was a rabbi himself. And uh, he chose those who he chose to journey and spend three years with him. And during that time, he taught them and he demonstrated the kingdom uh, and he invited the disciples to do what he did. And that's how it's gone from then to now and is still continuing. And that's the conversation that we pick up today, that we would apprentice ourselves to Jesus. And there's also an element of that as we apprentice ourselves to one another as well. And we'll get to that at some point. But uh, we looked a couple of weeks ago at, uh, at becoming like Jesus. And uh, we talked, didn't we? we? We talked about our stories, how the pain of our past stories can often define who we are. That painful thing that happened or that painful episode in our life, that thing that happened or was done to us can shape us and can form us. And yet... As we surrender our lives to Jesus and we invite Jesus into that story, the story remains, the memory remains, but the painful impact that shaped us no longer has its effect on our lives. And that's what we said. I said, you know, time and time again, I, I marvel at the healer Jesus as he comes and he steps into our lives and he eradicates and he heals up that part of our brokenness and sets us free. It's the most wonderful and glorious thing. That thing which uh, man intended for harm, God intended for good. And we see often that those very things that became the, the pain in us 
God then takes and uses to minister to other people. I just, it's just the most incredible, redemptive nature of who God is. And this morning, I want to kind of take that just a step further as we begin to explore and look at our identity, who we are. It was something that I was sharing on Friday that it's a question that many of us ask of ourselves. And we might not deliberately ask ourselves this question, but we are doing this throughout our whole lifetime, is actually asking that question, who am I? Who am I? What, 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 what makes me, me? And what makes me different to the person beside me? What is it? Who am I? And who has God intended me to be? And I think that really is, is the most uh, significant, poignant person and place that we go to is God to answer that very question. There are many people in our, li- in our lives that are asking that question, but they're asking the question from the wrong people and from the wrong stuff. And it's important that we go before him and go before the scriptures so that we can begin to unpack and understand and invite God to reveal to us our true nature and our true identity. Uh, we're going to get to the scriptures in a bit, but before we do, in introducing this, I want us to actually turn to the inspiration of uh, Walt Disney and, uh, and ask the question, what, what's the greatest Disney movie? Just call it out. Absolutely, we'll stop right there. Corrine, top of the class, gold star, miss. I'm making up for what I said about you a couple of weeks ago. The Lion King. The Lion King, I would say, is my favorite and probably best Disney movie. You may disagree. Frozen and all that. The Lion King is a kingdom story. It's probably what makes it so brilliant. It is a kingdom story. It's not the kingdom story before you think I'm speaking heresy right now. But it is a kingdom story. We pick it up at the beginning of the film with a young Simba who, like many of us who've had young children, uh, waking up their parents at a ridiculous uh, time in the morning and gets uh, his dad Mufasa up and Mufasa takes him out and he begins to show young Simba the pride land. This is our kingdom. And someday you're going to rule it all. Someday this is going to be your responsibility and you're going to be in place uh, to rule this. And in so doing, he also uh, gives warning. He says, this is, this is where it is, but this is the boundaries. This is where we're to live in this place. You see, that place beyond the border of the Northlands That's the place that you're not to go to. In many ways, it kind of parallels with Genesis, doesn't it? In the garden, when God says, this is is for you, except don't be eaten from that tree. You can have it all except that one place. And of course, that creates curiosity. And one day, a conversation between Simba and Uncle Scar. Uncle Scar's just the bad man, right? He represents in this kingdom story the enemy, the devil, someone who wants rule and reign and charges after it and will do anything and everything to rob, kill, and destroy for his intention and his purposes. And one day they're having this conversation and Scar lets Simba in on this secret that actually beyond the northern border is an elephant graveyard. And those of us who've seen The Lion King will know that one day young Simba together with the at some point, love of his life, Nala, 
go beyond that border. And they go to find the elephant graveyard. In that place is a place of danger. It's a place of fear. And the hyenas begin to attack. And Mufasa comes and rescues them in that situation, in that place. At that time, um, Mufasa's annoyed. He's upset. It's like, you disobeyed me. Why did you do that? And begins to restore broken relationship. Again, it's so the kingdom, really. After that, we have a conversation where Scar leads Simba into a dangerous place and stirs a, um, I don't know what the word in the natural world would be, but the wildebeests come, the wildebeests come, Simba's in danger, Mufasa has to go rescue Simba. And during that time, you've seen the film, those of you who have, uh, Scar is in an opportunity to actually rescue Mufasa and actually throws him to the wildebeest and he dies. Oh, are you reliving the moment with me? Where are we in the notes? I'm so excited telling you this story. <laughs> See how sneaky the enemy is? Begins at an early age to rob, kill, and destroy. A young, impressionable Simba. This event takes place which affects his identity of who he is. He orchestrates the death and then blames it on Simba. Scar, turning to young Simba beside his dead father, says, what have you done? The king is dead. If it wasn't for you, he'd still be alive. Run away and never return. And in so doing, Scar moves in and takes territory not of his own. Many of us have been fooled by the evil one. Things have happened, things have taken place, and we have believed lies. We've believed lies about ourselves. Half-truths just slightly twisted, and before we know it, we make agreements with the evil one, and he moves in. You see, Satan is known as the father of lies. Simba does run away, and he enters into a period of life with new friends where he lives by a new motto, a new way of living, a kuna matata, which means no worries. How many of us have ran away from our pain? We've shut it away. We've put it in a box, hidden it under the bed, whatever it might be, for fear of exposing it, for fear of bringing it to the light, for fear of allowing Jesus to actually heal us and, and bind us up. Until someday, when Rafiki, who comes and finds Simba in the faraway land that he's ran to, and he begins to help him understand who he really is, his true identity. We're looking at our identity, who we are. Rafiki says he lives in you. Mufasa says, you must remember who you are. Simba, like many of us, would say, sorry, I don't know how to be like you. Mufasa simply says, you're my son. That's it. 
says, I never left you. Remember who you are. This morning is Remembrance Sunday, and we remember others. This morning, I want to just ask that question, remembering who we are and whom we belong to. We're going to look at five things in the time that we have, and we need to speed up. And the first thing is that we're wonderfully, and cr- wonderfully created and made. The psalmist writes, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to me. I wonder, we don't normally do this sort of thing, but I think it's important that we just say these words together. Hopefully the words are there. Uh, The next slide, hopefully. Join with me. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Regardless of the circumstances in which you are conceived or born into or the way in which you were raised, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Regardless of the way in which the world tells us we should look and behave and think, regardless of that, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Turn to the person beside you and just say, you are wonderfully made. Wasn't that wonderful? Husbands and wives, you haven't said anything as nice like that in years. For some of you, that was deeply awkward as you've turned to a stranger and have never met them and... Who knows? Who knows? We're fearfully and wonderfully made. Secondly, we are a son or a daughter of God. Galatians writes this, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. This was Simba's story. This is what we looked at. He was the son of the king. And folks, that in many ways is enough for us, that we're sons and we're daughters of the living God. I've shared before how much I love the program Long Lost Family. Those of you who've seen it who try and Uh, find loved ones, maybe they were adopted at a young age or maybe separated at birth for whatever reason. I can totally understand. It's not my journey, but you can understand that there would be that that longing to find out and to meet. And I so, so respect people that that's been their journey. God is our Father. And I love it that in God's church that we are family together. I love it in our church 
that it's a hallmark of who we are, that we are seeking to gather and to uh, invite others of us that would be brave and bold enough to adopt children, to foster children, to provide care for those who do that. I just think it's absolutely stunning and, and, a, and a redemptive part of, of God's uh, kindness that we would play, uh, play a role within that. We are his sons and we are his daughters. That's who we are. Thirdly, we're a friend of God. John writes, or Jesus said in John, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his father's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Jesus calls us his friends. We have friendship with God. Consider your own friendships. Consider the people that you spend time with, those that you drink coffee with, those that you go for a walk with, those whom you walk the dog and you, you, you chat the best things in life and you share the saddest things in life. Those who put their arms around you when you need that. Those who tell you to wise up from time to time or another great saying, catch yourself on. Those in friendship that you journey that together, consider those people in your life. Jesus is our friend. He's a friend and he understands and he shoulders us and he walks with us. And he holds us and he understands uh, humanity because he was, is human. Was, we're not going to get into that bit today. He's our friend and he has chosen us. Remember uh, school days, those of us who are old and those who are still at school. Remember the time when you're in the playground or wherever it might be and you wanted to be friends with such and such. He has chosen us to be friends, to be with Jesus, to become like him, and to do the very things that he does. Fourthly, I thought this was important that we, we, we would write this. This is our identity, that we are not given to fear. 2 Timothy 1, Paul writes, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. The same verse in the Amplified Version uh, amplifies it slightly. and uh, We find this. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. We relate to the Father as sons and daughters. We relate to Jesus as our friend. And we relate to the Holy Spirit as he gives us power, love, and a sound mind. Simba was told to run away. Why? Because of the fear of remaining and being blamed for what he did. And he didn't actually do it. He ran away because of fear. And many of us, we run away because of fear. 
and we don't step into the very things that God has for us, what is our true identity, because the enemy has sown fear into our lives. But the Spirit comes to give us power, to give us love, to give us a sound mind, that we would step into the very things and step out of fear. And that's our identity. That's what the Spirit gives us, that we are not given to fear. As the song writes, I am no longer a slave to fear. And lastly, we are destined to change the world. Our identity is to make a mark, is to make a difference. That our lives would count, that we would be remembered for something. That the legacy that we leave behind when our days are done, that we leave behind the legacy, a well-lived life. Because we made a difference. And we changed others' lives. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We're God's handiwork, wonderfully and fearfully made. We're created as sons and daughters. We are created to be a friend of Jesus. We're entrusted with power, love, and self-discipline so that we would do good works, which God has already ordained for us. What are you made for? What will you be remembered for? What will you leave behind? We've said this, we've raised this question many times before because simply it's who we are and it's what God's made for us. I love sitting down. I can see so many of your faces who I know well and others that I don't know so well. And I, remember, I know part of your story and, and I, I've loved that you've entrusted with me things about you and things that God has spoken to you personally about. And my encouragement this morning is, is don't let fear stand in the way. Don't let your own stuff stand in the way of what God has made you for. You are called by him, chosen by him to go change the world. Life at a time. If you don't honestly know the answer to the question, who am I and what am I made for? Briefly, I would encourage you to go and be with Jesus. Inquire from him. Spend time in silence and solitude. Search the scriptures. Just type into Google, who am I scriptures? And you will find many, many scriptures which begin to unpack even more than what we've done this morning. Answering that question, who does God say I am? Ask Jesus' friends, one another, what am I good at? What do you see? Say what you see. What is it that I don't yet see about me? And what is it that God might be calling me into? Amen.